In Romans 7, Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for the truth that as we have received Christ, that we died with him and got a new self. Father, I thank you that we no longer live with the old man. That was destroyed. We have the new man, and yet we have this struggle. And I pray today, as we look at Romans 7, you would give us understanding into this struggle. And yet it would not be a defeating teaching, but it would be one who encourages us, gives us hope, gives us victory. Father, I pray that you'd give us a sharp mind. There are many terms. Lord, help us to understand them better so that we might live a life that's pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Today, I want you to really focus on the things I'm going to say. They're a little bit harder truths. We're going to get into some theology. But again, I want you to focus, because if you are able to understand what Paul is saying, I believe it gives you victory in your walk with Christ. I want to ask you, do you you identify with this type of thinking? Again, out of Romans 7. I am a mass of contradictions. I don't want to be, but I am. I teach a gospel of peace, but my life isn't always driven by peace. I talk about Jesus who alone can satisfy the soul, but I am, not, I am often not satisfied. I celebrate a theology of amazing grace, but I often react in ungrace. And if I rest in God's control, why do I seek it for myself? Even in moments when I think I am prepared, I end up doing what I didn't want to do. Irritation, impatient, envious, discontent, wrong talk, anger, self-focus. When I step out with a desire to do good, evil follows me. Do you ever feel like that? Evil follows you wherever you go. There is this war that rages inside of me between a desire for good and sin that is anything but good. There are times when I feel like a prisoner held against my will. I didn't plan to be mad at the grocery store, but that guy made me mad. I didn't plan to be discontent, but in my car it just kind of enveloped me. That discussion wasn't supposed to degenerate into an argument, but it did. I planned on stepping out to share my faith, but fear the fear of man stopped me. When I heard of the success of another, I felt envious. When I heard of their failure, there was a sense of gladness. Do you identify with this type of person? You want to do good, but it seems like evil is just dogging your steps. Again, I am thankful for God's grace, but there is daily evidence that I'm still in need of help. One guy said this about this battle inside. It cannot be solved by theology. By the way, I don't downgrade theology. But that fight alone cannot be solved simply by theology. It cannot be solved by strategies or principles or techniques. Plans, preparation, helpful hints or outlines. That battle cannot be solved by that alone. It takes the Spirit of God to work in your life to have victory. I've been humbled by the war that I cannot win. And what I mean by that is the war on my own I cannot win. I have been grieved by desires I cannot conquer. I have been confronted by actions I cannot excuse. I have come to confess that what I really need is to be rescued. Do you feel that dependence? I embrace the rescue that could only be found in Christ. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's how Paul ends in Romans 7, verse 25. So as we go forward, I want you to ask the question, do you identify with that vignette? Do you sense the struggle? By the way, if you don't sense the struggle, that's a, that's a key to saying you're, you're not a believer. A believer senses the struggle. A believer wants to confess and is grieved and is confronted by evil. I would ask one question before we move on. Is there a place right now where how you live is inconsistent with what you believe? See, Paul is saying, I'm struggling, but I'm walking with Christ, but I'm struggling. My, my question is, are you struggling and have given up and have not confessed it and are walking in that path of unrighteousness? I would encourage you at this moment to repent, either receive Christ for full forgiveness or, re, or, re, or uh, repent and if you're a believer and ask Christ to wash you. Remember how he tells the disciples, you only have to be periodically washed for the relationship shake. Once you receive Christ as your Savior, you're saved eternally. But we need this daily washing. And sometimes Christians don't have that daily washing. They, uh, they, they sin, but they don't confess their sins and they're out of fellowship with God. Are you walking with God at this moment? I like how Jerry Bridget says it. Jerry Bridges says, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Have you had one of those worst days recently? Don't think that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. See, sometimes when we have our worst days, we think we're out of reach. But sometimes when we have our best days, our best weeks, man, we're just walking with God. We forget that we need His grace. By the way, when that happens, then He just kind of lets you stumble, lets you fall. Remember, you're in need of me, He says. So again, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So as we come to Romans 7, and hopefully you're there by now, in chapter 7, verse 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am good. And basically, excuse me, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I should have said the last part. Remember he does, as I said last week, three sets of going back over the same type of thought. Each time he does the problem, the practice, and the source. That's the problem. I am carnal. Look at verse 15. The, pr- the practice is, For what I am doing, I do not understand. But what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. He hates it. And he's talking about the sin principle. The sin that's still resident within his body. Sin still clings to his humanness. Although in his inner being, he hates and despises it. By the way, Remember, he's not saying that the body is bad and the spirit is good. Because again, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But what he is saying is this. The sin force is in the body. That's what's being used. The new man is the spiritual part. That's new. That's forever new. But we still have this problem called the body. That's why we, though we are justified and sanctified, we still need to be glorified. We've got to get rid of this body. Because the enemy... The, 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 the beachhead, as it were, is in the body. So that's the practice. And look at the source, verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. That's the law of God. By the way, he's, he's using law in two different ways. One's he's talking about the law of God, and, now, and in a few moments we're going to see the law of sin. He says, you know, I agree with the law of God that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's the source. That's where the problem is. He, Paul would say this, I'm, the new, I'm a new man in Christ. I've been resurrected with Him, like Colossians 4 says. Colossians 3, excuse me, verse 4. But I've got this old, the old flesh is still there. The old uh, humanness, I guess you would say. Don't, don't call it the old nature. It's not really the sin nature. Um, All right, let's go on. Another set. It's a negative statement. He does what he does not want to do. Look at the problem. Verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, the unredeemed humanness, nothing 
good dwells. But look at the practice. For to will is present with me. I mean, I want to do what is right, but how to perform what is good I do not find. And look at the source. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, he identifies the source. It's the sin that dwells in me. It's not the real, it's not the new I, what Christ redeemed. It's the old. It's the, someone asked me last week, is this original sin? Yeah, this would be the source, would be original sin, passed down through the loins. Now we come to verse 21. This is where we pick up new material, as it were. Again, he goes back and he states it the same way. The problem, the practice, the source. Look at the problem, verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me. See, that's the, that's the problem. The one who wills to do good, I will to do good. In fact, the NIV says it this way. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I want to do something good and it's right there. It's looking me in the face. Uh, I'm going to say this a few times this, today. Don't put evil as immorality. Sometimes we easily say, well, the flesh, you're talking about immorality, sensuality, sexuality. I mean, that's part of it. Evil can be as simple as morality. Evil can be morality. Think about someone that you know. Man, he's a great guy. You'd say, man, this person is so great. They're even, they even act better than, the, the, than Christians I know. I mean, they're highly moral. By the way, Paul was highly moral. When he says evil, he's not talking about he was you know, sleeping around and stuff. The point was is this. Before salvation, he thought he could earn it on his own, self-righteousness. Now, put that in the equation of evil. Evil is anything that, that eliminates God. You, you have a highly moral... Take your, your friend there. Highly moral person. Boy, he, he acts better than most Christians I know. But he's never received Christ. Everything he does as far as God's eyes is, is evil. Why? Because God is not part of the picture. He is independent of God. A lot of what Paul is talking about when he says he's has, having the struggle, he's not saying, well, you know, I'm having the struggle with gossip. I'm not saying he never did. I'm having the struggle with fear, perhaps. I'm having these struggles with these obvious sins. No, no, what he's saying is this. My struggle is that I want to live, I mean, the, the flesh wants me to live independent of God. Now look at this. I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to break this down. We're going to look at this verse. Most of the message is on this verse, and then we're going to just finish up quickly. Okay? Sin living on in us, and this is a fill-in, is a law. You might want to fill that in. Is a law. Again, I find a law that evil is present with me, and I'm going to ask you four questions. Why call sin a law? Doesn't that sound kind of odd? Call it a law. This is why. Because sin is an evil law, force, or principle. By the way, you will hear that periodically. People, theologians will talk about sin as being either a law, just from the scriptures. I think the New American calls it the, a principle or a force, the sin force. Okay. In other words, it impels humans to sin. That's the point when I mean by force. The sin force is in each one of us. The only difference between myself and an unbeliever in the sense of the sin force is the ability to dominate. For an unbeliever, it totally dominates. For a believer, we push against it. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that's the only difference between a believer and an unbeliever. I'm saying as far as it relates to sin. Okay. See, we're a new man. Unbelievers are old self, new self. Okay. We're new self, they're old self. We don't have the old man in us. This message is taking a long time because I've had to try to... See, we talk about, well, we still have the old man in us. You don't, if you have the old man in you, you're damned because you're an unbeliever. When, when you came to Jesus Christ, remember what Romans says? Like we were buried with him and then we were resurrected with him. The reality is your old man was destroyed. Your old self was destroyed. You were given a new self. Now, the struggle is not between old self, new self. It's between new self and this law this evil that's still present, not in the real me, it's in my body, and someday my body will be given, I'll be given a new body, and that, that, that last impediment of the old will be gone, okay? 
I hope you're catching that because, see, sometimes we think, well, the struggle is like the old man, new man is struggling. That is not true. Your old man was destroyed when you received Jesus Christ. You have a new man. That's why Paul keeps saying, it's not I who's doing this. Why? Because he's saying, I was... Well, here, let's go to Colossians 3. I just have to show you this. Colossians chapter 3. Now, based on the fact that you do have a new man, you do have to struggle with sin, okay? Uh, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then, a question mark, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are uh, above. Yeah, if you have truly been raised with Christ, resurrected, co-resurrected with Him, in that mysterious way like Romans 6, we'll be there in a moment. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand. Set your mind on things above. Look at verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. Those are errors. In other words, those are in the tense of the past. Past tense and a moment of time. You well, Actually, the sequence is verse 3 first and verse 1. He's just picking out thoughts. You died and you were, res- you were raised. Look at verse uh, 9. Do not lie to one... In- oh, excuse me, verse 10. And have put on... The new man who is renewed in knowledge. And again, that's in the era's tense. Well, actually, look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. And both of them are again in the era's tense, which means in the past. Something happened in the past. You died. You were resurrected with Christ. You put off the old, you put on the new. That all happened. That's not something you were commanded to do. Paul's saying that's what already has happened. Now, later on he's going to say, now, I want you to keep putting off the old man in the sense of the, the stuff that was still dragging behind. But in the real sense, I only live in the new man. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he destroyed the old and gave me the new. The only problem left is this sin prince, this evil law that's within me. And it's within you. And you have to recognize this. See, if you don't see this, this is one of... I'll say it this way. Uh, Go back to Romans. This is one of the most encouraging passages on sanctification. Where some might say, this has got to be one of the most discouraging Oh, man, you're telling me I'm still struggling. No, no, that's the whole point. Paul is saying, listen, as an apostle, as one who is walking with God, who is mature in Christ, I struggle. Now, isn't that encouraging to you? That he could sit across the desk and you could be talking about your sins and he said, yeah, I understand where you're at. Man, I'm really struggling, Paul. Yeah, I got you. I mean, sometimes I even fail. I understand. I mean, a lot of times I have to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Yeah, got it. See, he's saying that. I get it. I understand where you're at. That's why I'm telling you. Although, one of the things he would say is, you know, and and you're just naming all these sins, but let me give you a whole list of other sins. You haven't even named all the times that you walk independent of God. All the times that you're doing something in your own strength. Those are things that God hates too, but you know, I see myself walking down that path too. Talk to Paul. Well, you might get depressed because the list grows bigger as far as the things you're doing wrong. No, but you just say, okay, I understand. Now I'm getting understanding. It's God wants me dependent on Him through His Spirit. Well, let's get back to this law. Let's get back to this question, again, or this statement. Sin living in us is a law. Again, one man said this, it is the root of which sins, the expression of the sin force through human nature, is the fruit. In other words, this is, this is where those sins come from. Like next week, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5. We're going to be back in Galatians, by the way. Um, and we're looking at the works of the flesh. Where do those works of the flesh come from? If you have a new self, if you are made, renewed, in, if you're made new in Christ, it comes from this force, this sin force. This flesh represents this sin force, this energy dominating oneself and nature. This, in other words, sometimes that's what happens. So again, Paul uses the law as a metaphor. He needs a way to express the power, the authority, the constraint, the control that sin exerts in our lives. He's just he's saying, listen, I've got to show you how this is powerful. I'm not sure if I left in your notes, but a law, this is what a law is. A law is authoritative. In other words, God's command, think of God's law. It commands us, it doesn't suggest to us. It says, honor your father and mother, do not lie. It tells us, it commands us. When it comes to the law of sin, the sin principle, it too commands. 
It puts a lot of pressure. You ever feel that pressure? Like you almost have to or you don't have to, but that's how powerful it is. By the way, the law is not only authoritative, it is enticing. Again, it entices us to obey by offering reward. Like with the, the, past, or the commandment, honor your father and mother. What does it say later on in that verse in Ephesians? It will be well with you. You'll live long in the land. In other words, there's blessing. It entices. Listen to me. That's what the law of God says. The law of sin does the same thing. Listen, you will be satisfied. Just look at the picture once and you'll be satisfied. Just sleep with her once and you'll be content. See, it entices. And it's very powerful. It bends things to its direction. A law is kind of like the law of nature. Think about gravity. Think about gravity. It bends towards your... It bends to its desire, if you will. I I don't want to personify that necessarily. In other words, I may say, I'm going up! Nope, gravity said no way. (laughs) Gravity is not a law as an idea, but a force that can make objects, objects obey its will. The law of gravity. Take the law of sin, sin principle. It's powerful. Sometimes we don't understand how powerful it is. So in this sense, every urge and inclination in us is a law. Hunger is a law. Thirst is a law. Sexual drive, fear, each pushes us to fulfill its demands. Each brings us a force to bear on us, to bow us into its submission. I'm not saying that you have to obey. Don't misunderstand. (laughs) <laughs> that's where the law of gravity breaks apart. That's something that will, I have to obey. Well, unless, well, unless I, in a rocket. When it comes to the law of sin, though, you know, we have the Spirit of God who's more powerful. We, we are not under its domination. We are not under, but, but it's there. It's powerful. See, sometimes we think of this law as kind of like, oh, some of you have been in biology class. You remember high school biology class? A lot of time you get to that point where you're dissecting, you know, and then they they hand you that thing, the frog, you know, and it's like, you know, and the boys are all excited, especially that age, you know, let's, you know, gross out the girls, and the girls are like, ah, you know, but they really like, you know, seeing everything happen anyway, you know, but they're going to dissect this frog, and, you know, it just sits there. See, we think of the law of sin as that. It just sits there and allows us to do whatever we need to do and, you know, to honor God, and it just is passive no, no, let's think of the law. Let's take the same biology class, but this time there's a, a wolverine on the table. I, was, I looked up a wolverine, but they're pretty nasty little creatures. About the size of a dog, claws. The only, let me give you one other thing. This wolverine is on the table, tied, but it's alive. Do you think it's just going to let you go? Now, let me take the knife and start cutting, you know. What? And you'd be at the nurse's office. When Paul says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, don't think of the frog, think of the live wolverine. It doesn't want to die. It wants to fight. And remember, its enemy is not you. Remember we talked about Moby Dick and the whale represented God just for an illustration purpose. And the captain was the old man. His hatred was the sin principle, his hatred for that whale. He died, but in our scenario, this is what happened. That flesh is still alive. Let me use a different I don't like using the word flesh because you immediately think you're just talking body, like your body is bad. No, your body is the temple of your spirit if you're a Christian. But what I'm saying is it's, it still has its seething hatred, but it's not for you primarily. Well, yeah, you because you're following God. It's seething hatred is for God. Okay? So, let me give you another question. In what sense has Christ defeated sin in the believer then? Well, he's overthrown its rule, he's weakened its power, even killed its root, so that it cannot bear fruit of eternal death in a believer. Yet sin is sin. Its nature and purpose remain unchanged. 
its force and success, I'll say it this way, still grabs us by the throat at times. Now again, when we say sin, don't think of the overt murder, lying, cheating, adultery. Those are sins. Think of it this, living independent of God, seeking even to do His will, being religious, being moral, but not doing it under the power of the Holy Spirit, which dishonors Him. See, look at it for the full gamut. See, that's why unbelievers, you know, you have the, the world, the flesh, the devil. The world, the devil, and the flesh. The sin principle, that's what we mean by that. It is, it is happy for some to go through life moral. Because let's face it, in the end, look at all the confusion it caused. A moral non-believer. See, don't think of the, the sin principle and even the devil as wanting to, to bring you to the very brink of disaster to kill you because, you know, you have done all these horrendous sins. Well, that happens. I'm not saying it doesn't. But think about the guy over here in the moral camp. And then people look and say, well, why would I have to receive Christ? That guy who hasn't received Christ is, 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 is a better guy than this guy that has. And all that confusion. Or he just, he just morally goes, or let's say the Christian. And sure, they've received Christ for sure. But they have not understood walking in the Spirit. And now they're just walking in their own, their own strength. And that entire time that they're doing that is not honoring to the Lord because it's not out his strength. Okay, do you see, you see how it's both sides? It's not just these horrendous, heinous sins. We are talking about just being a moral, religious person, coming to church every Sunday. Why? Because that's the thing Christians do, and I'm honoring the Lord, but really not depending on Him, not really walking with Him. You see glimpses of the old over that side, but it's just living independent from Him. That's sinful. That's very sinful. See, Christ has saved us. That's why um, Galatians 2, we looked at it a few months ago. I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm united with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's that new man, the new self. Well, let's ask a third question. What, what this law is not, what, is, what this law is not, this sin principle, this sin force that he's talking about, it is not... The sin nature. Some people say, well, that's a sin nature. That is not true. In fact, Berkman, my old theology teacher, wrote, while this aspect of sin is commonly called the sin nature, it is more accurate, again, to speak of it as a sin force. Why? Because nature, a, excuse me, a principle is a primary element, force, or law which produces or determines particular results. Now, this is where some of you say, ah, oh, just give me the bottom line. Well, I want to read it for you, okay? So let me read this part. Nature is an essence or substance that determines kind of being, such as a human nature, which is our body, soul, and spirit, or angelic nature. I mean, it can be different natures. Mankind, whether saved or unsaved, has only human nature. Why is this important? Because the sin principle is not the human nature, is not the sin nature. The sin nature was destroyed. By the way, the human nature wasn't destroyed. There was an unredeemed humanness part of us and it's been redeemed but we're still human that's the point that is the whole point of this we're still human we have a human nature but the sin principle is not that in its unredeemed state the human nature is sinful and corrupted all humans on earth have within their bodily flesh the sin principle before you got saved you had this principle within you except it was it was stronger it's been destroyed to a degree While this evil force is resident within the flesh of our mortal bodies, it must not be equated again with our human nature. The sin principle is the active agent that uses the human nature. In other words, our actions, words, thoughts, motives, emotions, intentions, attitudes, for its evil's expression. Human nature is itself a passive instrument. Thank you for uh, following me on that to a degree. But let's, let's say it this way. So it's not the human nature, it's not the sin nature. That's not what we're talking about. But it uses the parts of the the human nature. If you're unredeemed, body, soul, spirit, if you're redeemed, it's only got the body left. (laughs) That's all it can be used. Everything else has been new. We're the new self. And let let me throw out one other thought. The human nature did not become divine at salvation. There's a passage in 2 Timothy 
that you may be partakers of the divine nature. You know the passage we're talking about? And some walk away, well, we have the divine nature. No, we don't have. The truth does not make our personhood or human nature divine any more than us eating an apple makes us an apple. Oh, not too good. It's been in the refrigerator too long. Whoop. Oh, I'm shooting a leaf. No, you wouldn't say that. You partook of it. What do you mean? Well, what does it mean when it says you're a partaker of the divine nature? It doesn't mean that your, your nature is divine. It's human. It just means that it's been new. The old has been dead. You've been resurrected. And you partake in the sense of what God is, right, in his attributes. But it's not that you have the divine nature. You're still, you have human nature. Again, so it's not the human nature. And the other thing it's not is the sin principle is not the self. Not the self, our personhood. Romans, again, look at just back to verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. It's the I. The real I is my personhood. That's what has been redeemed. Okay? So he's not talking about my human nature. I still have a human nature. It's been renewed. And it's not my personhood. That's why when Paul keeps saying I, it's not I. He's talking about his personhood. That's the new self. The old self has been destroyed. But it's my new self. And this new self keeps fighting against what has been in my, my loins since I was born. And that is that evil principle. Constant battle. So again, the changes that have taken place is that I have died and I've been made alive in Christ. But I still have to fight. And look at the second point. We find this law inside of us. I find then, verse 21, a law that evil is present with me. With me. Okay? It dwells in me. Now, this is not a theory. It's a troubling experience. I still have apple in my teeth. <laughs> should never eat. <laughs> See, it's one thing to study about original sin. It's another thing to experience it. It's one thing to be lectured on cancer. It's another thing for the doctor to say you have it. It's one thing to say, let's study about heart attacks, but it's another thing for them to say you have a congestive heart failure and you're going to end with one. Right? See, this is not theory here. This is reality. And this is, this is how the doctor, Jesus Christ, would say to each one of you if you're a believer in him. Now, if you're not a believer in him, you need to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Repent of your sin. Receive his forgiveness and be made a child of God. But if you've done that and you are a believer of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, then we need to say, you know, but there's a struggle. And the more I understand the struggle, the, the better it is in the sense of me being victorious over it. One guy said this, few people have come to terms with the law of sin. If more people had, we would hear more complaints of it in our prayers, see more struggling against it, and find less of its fruit in the world. We actually have a tendency to ignore it or be ignorant of it. Okay, We really do. In other words, God will show you, and we could all quickly probably name a few of our sins and say, this is what I struggle with. But what we have a hard time doing is sometimes going over on this side. See, the flagrant sins we are, but yeah, okay, I, I get it. But it's these sins over here. Like, maybe you have, not, you have not gotten into God's word for this last week, and yet you're saying that I'm dependent on him. Or you may be walking with him, but find yourself rarely praying to him. Doesn't that show our independence? Doesn't that show how we're actually battling against sin? We're actually losing and not even knowing it. Okay, see, that's where, the, that's where it's hard. Because over here on this side, that's flagrant sin. These are sins that, are, that, are, that happen that we don't even many times recognize. Independence from God is pride. That's, that's the worst of them. And sometimes we're over here and we're comfortable. So again, we have to make sure that we're not comfortable. <laughs> Only believers recognize this law of sin at work in them. 
Again, unbelievers can't understand it. The sin force is like a raging river just carrying them along that cannot measure the force of the current. I mean, they don't even... In fact, you can put it like this. For an unbeliever, the sin force is like a tsunami. Have you been, I'm sure, watching the whole Japan thing? Man, all that stuff just... I mean, just unbelievable. Cars, trucks, everything, just the mass of force. That's like an unbeliever. The, the believer, though, is, a, is different than that. See, they were just, that stuff was just carried along. A believer, though, it's like a raging river, but we're swimming in the opposite direction. We feel its effect because we're going against the current. By the way, I don't know if I'd want to use the raging, because it's really like a current, because the reality is the Spirit of God is more powerful in us than that river. So just make sure you understand that you can, you can accomplish. If it's a raging river, you'd say, well, it's impossible, too. No, no. Let's just say it's a current. But it's strong, but you have to depend on God, and you can go against the current. That's why we feel it. Remember, Romans 6, the chapter before Romans 7, right? Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you. Verse 18, And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In other words, this law, this principle, this force is not our dictator. Okay? So we find this law inside of us. How about the next one? We find this law when we're at our best. The one who wills to do good. See, Paul didn't see this principle, this law working itself out when he was in a backslidden state. He didn't see this law working out when he was indifferent to God. He says, listen, when I will to do good, even when I recognize the fact that I can't be independent of God, I need to have him walking with me to empowering me. Even then I saw this force working against that. That's the good. Because again, Paul was a highly moral man. He's not talking about some flagrant sin necessarily. But he was highly moral. And he understood that sometimes he could fall back, perhaps even in his self-righteousness. Don't fall back into your self-righteousness. He became aware of it when he most wanted to serve God, when his heart was set to obey his Savior, when the Word was in control of his life. That's when he saw this, this push against that. Again, sin battles against a believer in every thought, good thought, every good intention, every good motive, every good word, every good deed that we desire to do. He pushes. And again, if you don't sense the push, most likely it's because you're ignorant of it. You're just totally, oh, I guess I, I guess I kind of, because actually for the last three weeks I've been thinking, okay, what is he saying? I mean, I know that the Apostle Paul was a godly man. He wasn't committing all these flagrant sins. Well, no, that's the whole point. It wasn't just the flagrant stuff that he was talking about. He's talking about all this commission, but also things of omission, just things that he just didn't do, things that he could have done. He's praying, and all of a sudden his mind wanders. He wants to serve, but all of a sudden he finds that there's a tinge of selfishness in his serving. Perhaps a congratulation. Thank you, Paul. Who knows what it was? What did he struggle And look at the last part. Oh, by the way, remember when, uh, when uh, God counseled Cain over his anger problem and he says, you remember? I mean, I see your brother, I accept his. But... And then this is what God says to Cain. He counsels him and, he, and he's talking about that sin principle. He says, sin lies at the door. It's like ready to strike. Think of it like an, a lion ready, ready to attack. Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. And the word desire has the idea of uh, wanting to uh, control, dominate. Its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. You see the rule? Sin is ready to attack. Sin is ready to dominate, but you need to rule over it, Cain. By the way, Cain found it impossible. He didn't have the Spirit of God. Finally, third point, this law never rests. Again, it says at the end that evil is present, and it's in the present tense, is present with me. I, I see it all along. I see it continually. It's constantly distracting us when we seek to pray. We want to become generous, and all of a sudden it puts you, and we become a little bit more stingy, a little less willing. 
Okay? In other words, the law of the mind says to do this for God, and something says, well, let's not get too crazy about it. Let's not get too fanatical. Oh, I must share the gospel with my friend, neighbor, family member. Ah, but what if? And the gospel, the good news that can save a soul, you decide not to because, would it? well, I might offend them. Well, let's look at the practice, verse 22. For I delight. And he's saying, listen, in the present tense, now catch this, this is the present tense. I, the new man, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I delight. I love it. I find pleasure in the law of God. I find pleasure in serving God and honoring him and wanting to glorify him, which is the highest call of any. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I find delight in it, Paul says. Well, if, if you don't understand that the old self has been destroyed, the new self, and all that's left is the sin principle, is you would, the sin law, the sin force, you'd say, well, what do you mean he delights all the time? He's just saying it's a struggle. Well, yeah, in the new man, I'm always delighting in God, but I have this, this wolverine that's not ready to die. I mean, it's, it's basically this. Do you ever feel like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? You know, you're caring... You even do something for another person, but you see this tinge of selfishness in you. But you, Or you want to be in control and you think you are, but all of a sudden, within minutes, you're out of control. Something that you didn't... Like I said, you get into the uh, discussion and it ends up in an argument. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And then he ends by saying, look at the source and bringing me into captivity, verse 23, the last part, to the law of sin, which is in my members in my members. But now sin was only in the member of his body. Make sure you understand that. That's where this problem is. Not that the body is sinful. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, but it still has a resident there that is evil. You need to have a new body. Well, let me give you a final hope. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am. Oh, I can see where I have this problem. Who will deliver me? By the way, he asked the question just so he can give the answer. Okay? Oh, wretched man that I am. It's interesting. It's reported that near Tarsus, where Paul was born, a tribe of people lived who inflicted a most terrible penalty upon a murderer. When someone murdered, this is what they did to him. They fastened the body of the victim to that of the killer, tying shoulder to shoulder, back to back. So you've got to picture this. Back to back thigh to thigh, arm to arm, and then drove the murderer from the community. That was his penalty. He, they tied the dead person to the murderer. So tight were the bonds that he could not free himself. And after a few days, the death in the body communicated itself in the living flesh of the murderer. As he walked the land, there was none to help him. He had only the frightful prospect of gangrenous death. I think Paul was thinking of that when he said, Oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, I have this death, but it's just in my body. It's not the real me. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from the body of this death? Who will set me free? Who will deliver me? That's, that's by the way, set free is a, a, a military term. Like I'm, you know, the enemy is shooting. Who's going to deliver me? I'm up at the Battle of the Bulge. I've been in the winter. Who's going to deliver me? But with Paul, it's a spiritual sense. Who will deliver me? Again, this is a testimony of a truly righteous man just asking the question. See, some of us would say we're wretched because of our wealth or lack of <laughs> bodily appearance, age, but not, we wouldn't be pointing to the fact that it's, that it's the this law in us. In other words, this is definitely a testimony of a righteous man. I mean, indwelling sin, that's why he's saying he's, he's this wretched man because of indwelling sin. Again, who will deliver? What does it say? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has already justified him, declared him righteous. Christ is sanctifying him, making him more like himself. But he says, someday I need to be... These are in future terms. He's not talking about who will deliver me right now. He's saying who will ultimately deliver me. He's looking towards his glorification. 
Someday, and this is why it's so encouraging, someday, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll no longer have the fight, the struggle. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Someday, the, the battle will be done. What, do, what should that do for us? We should, we should um, be encouraged by the struggle then. It was, it was planned by God. Paul talked about it. By the way, Corinthians says this, that all our temptations are what? Common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. But with the temptation, also what? Make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, I, see, I get great encouragement from this passage. Paul is saying, listen, I'm a fellow struggler. This is part of the plan. And ultimately, it will be done. So, you know what you have to do in this gap? Be faithful. Be faithful. Don't give in to its sinful enticings. Don't give in to the power of the law, of the sin. Okay, the sin principle. But I'm struggling. No, take heart, because someday we will be perfected. Then he ends by this. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. See, that's what my mind, that's the me, that's the new self. But with the flesh, now there, there he's talking simply about the body, the flesh, because that's where the beachhead is, the law of sin. Man, I want to do it perfect, but I can't. I was thinking about my dear mother-in-law. You know that many years ago she had a stroke. With the stroke came the, ability, the inability to write clearly. Okay? I love, I, I save this. I'm a, I save certain notes, you know, if I think it's a keeper and this was a keeper. See, what, what was her stroke, about 15, 20 years ago? In her mind, her writing was clear. I mean, she wanted it to be clear and legible. But the letter shows that her hand was shaky. Now think about this the way Paul's thinking of it. His mind, his mind wants to serve God. But the actual output is sometimes shaky. See, the hand does not what the mind hates. It is not that the mind is doing it, but it's the stroke. The mind wills it to be perfect, but the hand cannot do that. The hand does not the good which the mind desires. It just can't. And how to perform what is the mind wishes to do? I mean, I remember sometimes she'll, she'll be writing and she'll go like this. Oh, shoot. <laughs> like verse 4, 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Oh, shoot. Because I want it to be right. I want it to be clear and legible. But between her mind and her ability and her hand... Sometimes it does. Now, again, Paul wasn't talking about writing. He was talking about following God. But sometimes that's how we respond. Oh, I, I want to do it perfect. But I keep seeing this law, this power. It entices. It woos. And sometimes in, in my, in my, the way I serve is not perfection. It is not with a whole heart like I often want it, I, that I want it to be. It's just, I, and Lord, give me encouragement. And Lord would say, you know what? Walk in the Spirit. Every moment that you walk in the Spirit, you are pleasing to me. Even though, as many of the old Puritans used to say, even your best prayer, even your best action is still somehow not perfect. Do you understand that? There is no absolute perfection on this side because you have this sin force still working on you. Even your best prayers needs the grace of God. Even your best actions need the grace of God in your life. But as long as you understand that that is the truth and the Savior is coming back and will someday give you a new body and all the struggle is gone, then you walk out of here not discouraged, but encouraged. Let's sing praises to his name. The reflection of him. As you look at this card, you may say it's imperfect. It is. There's imperfections. But let me say, I cherish it. Your works are imperfect, even your best works. But if they're by walking the Spirit, they're cherished by God. Now let me give you one ditch, though, that you may fall into as we looked at this. And that is personal responsibility. Please don't walk away here saying somehow, well, yeah, and that was not Paul, and therefore he doesn't have to take responsibility. No, Paul says, well, actually, John says over in 1 John, what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, right? And to cleanse us. If we 
Make sure you take personal responsibility. We, we know where the evil dwells. We know the effect it has on our life. But sometimes there's a disconnect. We fall into the ditch of saying, well, and I don't have to be real serious because it's not really me. I'm the new self. No, God would say, yeah, you're the new self that has to battle. And so the question, as I started out, is at the end, is there any known sin in your life? And again, as you see sin, don't just put it in this flagrant category. It might be of omission or the independent category. And you may say, you know, I've been sinning because I have not been walking. I have not been dependent. I have not been praying. I have not been searching the scriptures. I'm not allowing the word of God to dwell in my heart. Sure, I'm not doing those flagrant sins, but I'm just walking as a moral man thinking somehow God is satisfied. And God is looking at you right now and says, I'm not satisfied with that. I saved you to walk with me to be filled by my spirit. Are you walking with God? That's the question. I trust that you are. And if not, confess your sin. Do it just as we close. And I'm going to give you a couple seconds before I close. If there's an area in your life that either it's flagrant or independent from God, confess that. So as you walk out, you're walking with him filled by his power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your justification through your Son. Thank you that we have been made new. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never received you as their Savior, and Lord, that today might be their day of salvation. For us as believers, I pray that we would truly walk with you. Father, so many times we find that what we desire to do is like scribbling. Even as we walk with you, sometimes we see that. And yet, remind us that though it is imperfect, Lord, that is cherished by you. And Lord, I pray that we would find strength and encouragement, that we would truly walk by your Spirit. Thank you that your grace is more than sufficient in our life. And Lord, as we even meditate on this passage, and as we see sin wanting to have its way, I pray that we would find your strength and say no. Father, just guide us for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen.